Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and today we have Andy Brightville and Heather Simple today talking about the renewing of our mind. This is week one of Change My Mind, a series on mental health. Andy Brightville has a lot of experience in mental health. He spent 20 years working in that industry, so definitely has a lot of wisdom to share with us today. So I hope that you are encouraged and guided by today's message. How y'all doing tonight? Are you ready? Are you excited for tonight? I'm so pumped. We're doing a series. Y'all don't even know how I'm excited to, how excited I am for this series because I've wanted to do this for like a year and a half, but then COVID hit and then other things kept shifting it and changing and could never get to it and could never get to it. So I have had this brain in my office for a long time, real long time. So finally got to pull it out today because we're in a new series. It's a two-week series called Change My Mind. Now, how many of you, you are someone that it's fairly easy to change your mind? Like if you like um, cheddar cheese Pringles, someone can easily convince you barbecue is better. You're that person. Just admit it. Raise your hand. You're fairly, fairly easy to change your mind. How many of you are just flat stubborn? No one's changing your mind about anything. Right. Even if they're right, you're stuck. Nope, I'm dug in. This is what I'm doing. I've wanted to do this series for some time, and here's why. I don't know that we think it's possible to really change our mind. I mean, literally change our mind. The six inches between the left and right side of your skull and what is in between there. I don't know that we really think it's possible to have much of an impact on it. Uh, Have you ever heard of the game whack-a-mole? Yes? Okay, whack-a-mole. I think we have a picture of it. Do you have a picture of it, Trip? Like the game where you would go into an arcade, right? Like this. And it's this little, I mean, this guy's serious, isn't he? He's like, he's after it. And it's this, like the little moles pop up and you hit it with the mallet. And then another one pops up and you don't know which one is going to pop up. And the goal is to try and hit the moles down and then you score points. But they're just constantly popping up. In fact, it's an older game and you don't see it much anymore. But uh, I want you to know there's actually now a more modern version of whack-a-mole game that is for humans to participate in. I've got a picture of this as well. It's a blow-up. Like... I mean, how do y'all think we should have this at C12? Like 100%, 100%. They've got the helmets on, right? And this woman is just, I don't understand the balls in the middle, but nonetheless, whack-a-mole. I think our thoughts and how our mind operates often feel like a -a whack-a-mole game. Like, I've been in a meeting And I'm sitting there and I'm giving all the social cues I need to give that indicate to everyone in the meeting that I am totally paying attention. And I'm fully present when really what I'm thinking about inside, and this is a true story, is I was wondering the other day during a meeting, are hedgehogs, are they painful to touch? Because 
they look a little bit like porcupines, but I know porcupines hurt to touch, but hedgehogs, they say are cuddly, but then they don't look cuddly to me. This is the conversation in my mind. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what triggered it. I'm not sure what brought it to my mind. I don't know if I saw a picture of a hedgehog somewhere, but nonetheless, this is what I'm thinking while I'm in a meeting where people are wanting to make decisions. And I wonder how many times you've been in a class or at work or in a conversation and you're giving all the social cues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I am, I am, I am dialed in. All the while, your brain is like whack-a-mole. It is everywhere else but where it's supposed to be. Our thoughts can be everywhere. Do you know that the average human has 60 to 80,000 thoughts per day? Some of y'all are like, well, I'm, I'm smarter than I thought. I didn't know I had that many different thoughts. I thought they were all the same thoughts. Yeah, you have 60 to 80,000 thoughts per day. And sometimes, sometimes, I wanted like a little rubber mallet that I could just pound down the thoughts I wish I could stop thinking. Because it can be funny to talk about me thinking about a hedgehog during a meeting, but it's not so funny when we start talking about the kind of thoughts that we have done everything we know to do to stop thinking. Patterns and cycles of thinking, of emotions, of replaying. How many of you have different like films in your mind, memories that you just replay and replay and replay? Or how many times have you had a conversation in your mind that you wish you had had in person or would like to have in person, and it just keeps going? Or how many of you have wished you could start thinking about something? You've seen other people that seem to just think of things or get ahead of the game or be ahead of you in an intelligent thought process, and you thought, how do they do that? How do they get ahead? How do they think that way, and why can't I? See, can you really change your mind? And that's the question we want to answer over the next two weeks. Not just answer, but then give some really practical application pieces that I think could be revolutionary for you. Honestly, if you can absorb even a small percentage of what gets presented over the next couple of weeks, I'm telling you, it will change your life. There's a verse that's going to be the foundational verse for the next couple of weeks. It comes from Romans 12, 2, and I'm just going to give you a part of the verse. It says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? renewing of your mind. In fact, I would encourage you, write this, write this verse down in your notes, Romans 12, 2. This is a verse that amongst several others would be a good one to memorize. This is a good verse to have in your memory bank. This is a good verse that when the thoughts won't stop and the cycles won't stop, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says that transformation happens in our mind. That's where it begins. Actually, that's where it ends. From beginning to end, transformation begins in our mind. So says God in his word. 
Don't conform to what the world says and their pattern. And we're going to talk about what the world's pattern is today. Be transformed by the renewing, it doesn't say of your body, or the renewing of anything else, by the renewing of your mind. Now, what I know about God is that he doesn't tell us to do anything and then make it impossible to do. He doesn't give us promises and directives and hopes and then have them be something that cannot be accomplished or come to fruition. So how does God transform our mind? Well, again, in this little, like, six to seven inch, some of you, maybe larger, I don't know, uh, space between your, you know, the sides of your skull, your brain, this organ right here. This is a model of your mind, of what sits inside the outer shell. And it is in here. It is this organ. It's not transformed by the renewing of your liver or transformed by the renewing even of your heart. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where transformation takes place. So can your mind change? So I want to give you a little bit of um, a paradigm to look through, and you're about to be super impressed by my artistic skills. Okay? I know. Thank you. All right. <laughs> okay, that's another conversation, but, you know, I don't know. Come back next week. Um, Here's the brain. It's rather small for this gentleman, but whatever. Uh, so let's magnify the brain, all right? Let's blow it up here. Now, there's a doctor that does a lot of work with the brain and neurology and understanding the mind. And he's broken the brain down into sort of four departments, if you will. And it's these four departments that really together make up, you know, our, our personality and our opinions and our decisions and those kinds of things. The first department is what you would call the biology of our brain. This is the actual physical part, like the squishy part of the brain, right? Did you ever do dissecting in school, right? You know, it's like the squishy part. It's the biology of the brain, the actual parts, all right? Then you have the mind, which is the psychology of the brain. The psychology, so biology, psychology, and this is the parts, um, your personality, your decisions, your character, where you're taught how to do something. Um, in fact, if you wanted to, you could say biology is the brain, this is the mind. Then we've got the connections part of our brain which is the social part, where you form relationships, where you have relational connection with people, and we need it, and it's part of the brain's makeup. And then you have the spiritual part of the brain, which is also called purpose. The physical part, the psychological part, the social part, and the spiritual part of your brain. 
So when I talk about the words brain and I talk about the word mind, and it might seem that I would use them interchangeably, but I'm going to, for the sake of this series, not. I'm going to refer to the brain as the biology, the physical organ, and then you have the mind, which is in the brain, part of the makeup of the brain, but it is out of the mind and in the mind that God does the transformation. All right. I'm going to um, bring up one of my friends now. One of my friends and your friends, about to be one of your friends, Mr. Andy Brightville, Pastor Andy Brightville. Um, some of you may know him. Uh, he's been to C12 before, like pre-COVID days, and done some speaking, and maybe you just met him because he is one of our pastors on 12 Stone staff. And the reason I asked Andy to come is because um, not only is Andy a pastor, but also a counselor and therapist and has worked in mental health for several years uh, while he, before he was here at 12 Stone. And he knows a lot about this. He knows a lot about... The, that model specifically, like not the brain, <laughs> but who made that yes, manufacturer. Yes, really he knows a lot case. about the brain. Um, and uh, so I asked him if I could ask him a few questions and if he would answer them and help us better understand, before we really get into um, some of the application part, like the, the actual biology of the brain and why this is such a big deal. And I have to tell you, in my own journey and in my own life, and, and you've heard different parts of it in different messages, um, but I do not have time to go into it here, but I will say that mental health um, has been a part of my journey and, my, um, and really what God has done in my life. And so, there are things that I've learned about the renewal of our minds and the brain that literally changed my life, and I wish I had always known. I wish that I had known some of the things that Andy's about to tell you when I was your age. Because if I'd known them when I was your age, I would have felt like, oh yeah, I'm normal, I'm not crazy. Oh yeah, this is really hard for me because this is actually true of my brain, not just true of me, but true of everybody. So there's just a lot in this. So what I would encourage you to do is when you hear him say something or hear us say something and it really resonates with you to write it down, there's going to be some large words, of course, because it's anatomy. Words I've always dreamed of saying on stage. <laughs> I know. Yeah, sure. um, so, and you don't have to write all those down unless you want to, but I just, um, write down the things that really uh, spark something in you so that you can go back to them and sit in them. All right, let's get to it. Andy. Um, first, what I would love for you to do is, and this is going to be an anatomy lesson, but I want you to walk us through like some of the major components of the brain and why those are important to this conversation. I would love to. <laughs> I'm so glad. Thanks. I was like, no, I don't want to do any of that. Uh, so first of all, you're helping me to fulfill another dream of mine tonight, What's that? which is to hold a brain on stage. There you go. I've never done that. You want to get a so, photo? Where's Kendrick? All right. Okay. So we could talk about so many different parts of the brain. Yeah. But I just want to focus on two because I think they're the most important for the conversation that we're yeah. going to have. So the first thing I want to tell you about is the frontal cortex. I bet when you came tonight, you thought, man, I hope they talk about the frontal <laughs> cortex. Well, you're in luck. We are. So the frontal cortex is literally right here in the front of your brain. Like right here. Yep. Right in the front. And here's what that does. The frontal cortex is the part of the brain that deals with reason, logic, and rationality. So when you sit down and you're trying to figure something out in a sequential way, or you're trying to figure out something logically, 
the part of the brain that you're engaging is the frontal cortex. Then there's another part of the brain. It's actually made up of a number of different parts of the brain, and it's called your limbic system. Super fun, again, limbic. to say on stage. Not the limbo. It's like we, a should call, we should name Cameron's dance the limbic. We could. I'm a little hurt you didn't ask me to dance. It's uh, fine. But that's, anyway, don't worry about it. So the limbic system is actually, if we pull this apart, and I'm going to, the limbic system is actually here in the middle part of the brain. It's made up of a number of different parts that you don't really need to worry about. The thalamus, the hypothalamus, the amygdala. The amygdala is a big deal, honestly. The amygdala is the emotional center of the brain, but so is the rest of the limbic system. And the amygdala is the place that triggers the fight or flight mechanism. It's the part of the brain that triggers our anxiety response. So it's what goes off when we sense danger or perceive that we sense danger. So just out of curiosity, fight or flight, when a negative emotion is triggered in you, how many of you tend to want to just run away from it? You're a flight. Okay, how many of you are like, fight, I'm going to step right up, I'm going to punch this thing in the face. Okay, yeah, fight or flight. So here's, here's why I want to talk about those two. I hope you're already starting to see that it can feel at times like the frontal cortex and the limbic system are in direct opposition to one another. Because one is the emotional place in your brain and the other is the rational place in your brain. And so there was a psychologist at NYU a number of years ago, his name is Dr. John Haidt. And he came up with an analogy to talk about the difference between the frontal cortex and the limbic system. He referred to the limbic system as the elephant. This is, this is... Do you like this part? This is great. It's my favorite. And he calls the frontal cortex the rider. So you've got the rider and the elephant, which to me also sounds like the name of a new Marvel series on Disney+. Plus. Yes. But that's, a, any, that's another conversation for another day. Uh, so here's what happens. We live life thinking there's not any possible way we can tame the elephant. Mm. And so we just allow the elephant to run free. And like you can imagine, if we set an elephant loose in this room after the first five minutes when it would be fun to watch, it would do a whole lot of damage. Yeah. It would do a whole lot of damage because it would dictate everything else that happened in this room. But when you can engage the rider, the beauty of the rider is that the rider can tame the elephant. The rider can train the elephant, it can tame the elephant, it can put the elephant to work in a way that makes the elephant beneficial. And so when the elephant and the rider work in harmony, the brain can actually function the way God designed the brain to work. So the, this part, the frontal cortex, the frontal cortex mm. and the part in the middle, this limbic system and the amygdala, when they work as the rider and the elephant, that is what we want. Correct. That's what we want. Correct. Mm -hmm. And that would be our rational logic part directing the emotional mm -hmm. part. Or at least having a conversation. Yeah, having a healthy conversation, all of the things firing mm -hmm. between the two in a way that they should, okay? All right, why is this such a big deal? Like, mm -hmm. why is the biology of our brain, why are we bringing this into church? Why are we actually taking time in C12 mm -hmm. to talk about anatomy, biology of the brain? You know, I think, I, I mean, there's a million reasons we could talk about as to why. I think the biggest one for me is this. You just talked about your journey in mental health. Yeah. I've had a journey in mental health as well. I've, I've gone to see a counselor. I've battled through some things. 
And for the longest time, even after knowing some of these things, it can feel like there's another person living in your brain yeah. and it's functioning independent of the rest of you. Yeah. And that you are at the whim or you're the victim of whatever that other person yeah. in there is doing. And I think that by having an understanding of how the biology of your brain actually works, it helps you understand that you don't have to live as the victim of your own thinking. Yes. That you can take control of what's happening in your mind. Not only can you take control of it, but the way the biology of the brain works, God literally designed it. Like that verse we just talked about from Romans 12, 1 and 2, yeah. we can literally change our minds. Yeah. We're going to talk about neural pathways in a little bit. Uh, you can change the way that your mind functions. Yeah. You can change the connection between things in your brain. And when you can understand the biology, it sets you up to go, man, I don't have to be a victim right. of everything happening in my head. Yeah, I do. I think it's easy to think, especially if you have thought patterns you can't seem to stop and you have ways of thinking and you, you wish you could change things to actually believe that that's just who you are. And that really whatever is uh, at your disposal here in um, a, you know, a doctor's office or even just within yourself is all you have to work with. When there's a greater understanding and knowledge and validation really um, in knowing that there's more at play than you think that there is. So um, how do, how, okay, and this is a big question. So how do circumstances of our life impact, like positively and negatively, the parts of the brain you're talking about? Yeah, that is a great question. So a second ago, I mentioned the word to you, neural pathways. Let's all say it together. <laughs> I don't know. It just sounded fun to do that. Neural pathways. Neural pathways. Here's what a neural pathway is. A neural pathway is a connection from one part of the brain to the other part of the brain. And so... As you grow, as you develop, your brain is making like multiple, 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 millions of times over connections between one experience and another experience. And it happens over and over and over again. As we get older, what happens is the neural pathways that we, we create become like a route that we take on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, like four years ago, my wife and I moved into a new house. And I like to make phone calls on the way home from work. I can't tell you that in the month after we moved, the number of times that instead of going to the new house, I drove to the old house. Yeah. You because I was just used like to that? doing, yeah. yeah. Anybody else ever do that? You drive, yeah. you think you're going one place and you're like, wait, wait, no, no, no. You actually mm -hmm. drove to a different place. So that's how neural pathways work. Yeah. Your brain wires itself to go in the same direction all the time. So this is a big deal. See, sometimes when that happens, we're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid. How did that happen? You need to understand, you have biologically, like mm -hmm. physically, your brain has been wired to do that. So it's not just going, oh my gosh, how did I do that? I can't believe I was that dumb. It's understanding, like, it's more than just a will and an emotion. And it is, it's like, like your anatomy is telling you to do this because you've done it so much. Well, here's the other thing that's interesting about it, because when your brain is wired to do that, what happens as a result is that whatever your brain is wired to do, you come to interpret as normal. Mm. That's what you think that a normal experience is. And so let me go a layer deeper, because a little bit ago, we also talked about the amygdala. Yeah. We talked about that being the fight or flight anxiety response portion of the brain. 
So when people experience high anxiety in phases of their life, especially early in their lives, the amygdala actually can grow in a very literal physical way faster than the rest of the brain. Here's what that means. When your amygdala grows faster than the rest of your brain, it takes over in places where it shouldn't take over. What that means is that people who have an enlarged amygdala see danger and trauma in places where there is none. Right. So everything becomes fearful, red alert, yeah. right? You almost get stuck in fight or flight. And one of two things happens. We talked about it a second ago. Yeah. When you get stuck in flight, you shrink back from everything because everything seems overwhelming. But when you get stuck in fight, you're ready to, everything yeah. is a challenge. Everything is a challenge. And quite frankly, to live in both places is exhausting. Mm. I've been there. Maybe some of you have been there. To live in that state perpetually is absolutely exhausting because your brain was not designed to live at red alert at all times. Right. The other thing that happens too is there's a phenomenon in psychology called trauma bonding. Mm. I think we talked about this one time before. About me. I know. Go ahead say it. It's fine. I wasn't going to bring that up, but if you want to talk about it again, we're, we can. We can. Would anyone like to see a live therapy session with Let's, Heather on the stage mm, right now? Anyone not, else? Let's not do that. I'm going to put a little bucket down that you can drop pennies in it or dollars or whatever you want to do you know, later. It's like a person playing a violin in the subway. Anyway, uh, here's what trauma bonding is. For people who've experienced high levels of trauma in their life, we talked about the neural pathways and how your brain is wired to think that's normal. Yeah. Trauma bonding is the phenomenon that says, because I've experienced high trauma and I think that trauma is normal, I will seek out trauma or high alert in every area of my life. So even though we don't want to repeat trauma relationships, we seek them out because our brain literally doesn't know how to function or make sense of life without trauma being a part of it. So let me, I will give you a little a little window into what conversation he's talking about. He and I were having a conversation one day, and I was telling him, um, I was like in the middle of a season where I didn't have like a lot of plates I was trying to spin in the air in terms of my workload and responsibilities. And I was saying to him, man, Andy, I hate it. I hate it when I don't have like 20 plates in there. I don't like it when I'm not running like a hundred different directions. I prefer it. It's just who I am. It's how I'm built to like have like 20 plates in the air, be going 90 to nothing. And he was like, hmm, actually, that's your trauma brain. Because he knows much of my story and you know some parts of it and I've experienced a lot of difficult things. And so even as an adult now, if I'm not operating in that like, like constantly like red alert, here we go, urgent, 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 it's hard for me to mm -hmm. adjust mm -hmm. to a more balanced and healthy way. Like w w our brains learn how to function and then we think that that's like mm -hmm. just who we are. Well, it's just normal. And anybody else like should function the way I function. But here's, here's the beauty of how God designed the brain. Yeah. It's the only organ in the body that can literally continue to change and adapt itself yeah. in how it views the world. The liver does what the liver does. The heart does what the heart does. The lungs do what the lungs do. Yeah. But because God designed our brain to literally create new neural pathways, which you can do at any time yeah. and at any age, you can literally retrain and rewire your brain to experience life in a different way than you had previously. Yes. I'm not, I don't want to minimize the amount of work it takes. 
there are times where God does things miraculously, but sometimes the gift that he gives us is to walk with us through the process. Yeah. And that's part of my journey. I wish that he would have just snapped his fingers and yeah. flipped the switch. It didn't work that way for me. Yeah. But I had to, over a series of years, retrain my brain to think in a healthy way. And quite frankly, it's the, it's the greatest gift outside of salvation that God's given me. Yeah. Because it's allowed me to see and experience the world in, in freedom. Yeah. And not to see bondage and trauma and anxiety everywhere I looked. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got that same ability, that same capacity. God designed your brain to literally do that. Yeah. To literally think differently, work differently, be rewired. And so I want to just put a little, like, a little caveat in here, Andy, because I think it's important because we're talking about very broad, we're taking some very broad strokes mm-hmm. at this. And when you talk about sometimes, I mean, sure, God can like rewire like boom in a moment. Other times it's a journey and mm-hmm. it's a, it's, you know, it's you're like rehabbing your brain. You're like, like rebuilding it. Um, and there are things in that that are helpful. Like just name a few things. Like, so like in, in your journey, what were a couple of things that were just helpful along that way? You know, I think one of the things that was helpful is for me to, to re-engage the writer. Mm. Uh, even in being aware of what emotions I was experiencing and what feelings I was having. And then saying, well, why, do I, why am I having that feeling? Yeah. Instead of saying that, that feeling is overwhelming and now it's taking control of me and all of the experiences in yeah. my life. But to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back. I'm going to engage the writer, and I'm going to think about why did that make me angry? Why did that make me sad? Why did that make me anxious? Why am I fearful of this situation or experience? Instead of just having the emotion, becoming a student of why you have the emotion. To take the time to notice. Mm -hmm. To take the time Mm -hmm. in a world and in a culture that is like always going to 90 to nothing, and that really the goal is just to feel better, just feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if we can just feel better, then we'll be better. When really the process to healing is about going, whoa, I feel a ton of anxiety right now. This must mean this place is terrible. Wait, wait, no, not necessarily. Let me take a step back and notice. Why do I feel that? Is it real? Am I really in any danger? Like to really pause for a moment. In fact, we we talked about, um, you know, kind of the process that the world takes mm-hmm. us through versus the process the Bible takes us through. You know, here's the thing that I love about this. The, the thing I love most about what we're about to talk about is that every piece of psychological evidence supports what Scripture has to say about learning to think differently. I know that's not a shock to you. Uh, I hope it's not a shock to you. Yeah. But we live in a world that's obsessed with feeling better. Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't you agree? That every message you hear about addressing what's wrong is about taking a step toward feeling something different. And here's what happens. When we don't feel something different, we think that it's not working. Right. And that's not at all the invitation that God has for us. As a matter of fact, the world does it this way. I think we had a slide for it. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen. It looks exactly like the slide before. <laughs> it's, yeah, we... The world says we have to feel differently and then we can choose differently and then we maybe, if we're lucky, can think differently. But the Bible says it exactly the opposite, right? Heather shared the verse, Romans 12 too, it says you're transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Mind, right? And so the Bible says this, we think differently first. 
And thinking differently allows us to choose differently. And choosing differently is what results in us feeling differently. Yeah. But we live in a world that minimizes the part where we think differently because it's the thinking that rewires our biology and our brain. And when we don't choose to start with the thinking and we only focus on the feeling different, that's why we don't find health. Mm -hmm. It's why we don't find wholeness. And we've talked about this and when it comes to a lot of things. We've said we'll wait to forgive till we feel like it. We'll mm -hmm. wait to obey till we feel like it. We'll wait to take that step till we feel like it. And that's just not the way it works. You typically choose to take the step and your feelings and emotions follow the healthy choice. Mm -hmm. Now, it's har often harder that way but healing is hard, y'all. Can mm -hmm. I just tell you that? It's hard. I, I, we're sitting here talking about this, and I'm not about to sit up here and tell you, you know what, this is just, you just rewire, wait, get your screwdriver out and rewire some neural pathways in your brain. It's, it's not something that you just flippantly do. It's time, and it's intentionality, mm -hmm. and it's like slowing down to notice. But this is so right. The Bible says if this is, this is the formula, you think and then you choose, and then you have, because you have to retrain your feelings. Mm -hmm. You have to retrain your feelings to actually be true to what's happening in reality and not something that you've just learned to function in your whole life. Um, so this is a verse um, that we've talked about earlier, Andy, but it's Philippians 4, 8. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't, the Bible doesn't give us things um, that are not possible. And so in Philippians 4.8, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Who doesn't want to have those kinds of thoughts, right? Who doesn't want to have the thoughts that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent? We want those kinds of thoughts. And it's possible. So, um, Andy, I would love, you know, in all of your experience working with people in mental health, you know, and in the church, and working with me, of course, um, what, do you, what do you most want us to know about this? There's so much that could be known. And I just, you know, from your experience and your knowledge yeah. and your wisdom, like, what do you want them to hear in this? I, I want to say, say two things about it. The one is hyper-practical. Yeah. And then I want to step out of that for just a second. The first thing I want to share is this. There's, there's also another um, psychological term called schema. Yeah. Schema is literally the, the grid that we think through everything. Our experiences, right? It's how we interpret the world. But we interpret the world based on the experiences we've had up until that point in time. And here's the beauty of what God does for us. When we decide that we want to engage transformation His way, He's given us scripture to do it. Mm -hmm. He's literally given us in scripture a new schema with which we can interpret the world. Yeah. And when we decide that I'm going to set down my experiences and I'm going to trust that what God says in scripture is even more true than what I've experienced in my life to that point, yes. I can trade out my faulty wiring for his better wiring. 
Which is why what's so dangerous is people, people say, well, that's my truth. Yeah. That's my experience. No, because God's word is, is more, more sure than that. Yes. It's more solid than that. And here's the deal. We've all tried to live out our own truth and we end up in the same place that we were when we started. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you, you talked about a little bit ago, people that struggle with mental health, a lot of times the church comes alongside them and they go, well, you see to pray more. Well, since when doing the same thing harder solved anything for anybody? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, if I just harder. believe harder. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that means. And so it's not do it harder. It's do yeah. it differently. Yeah. It's do it differently. It's think differently. It's approach it differently. And so part of doing that for us is to say, I'm going to set aside the pieces in me that are broken to accept God's pieces that are whole. Yes. Because it's God's wholeness that heals us. Mm. And that brings us into the second point. Uh, I, I just really feel, and this is, this is a burden on my heart, yeah. that, that the church for a long time has talked about discipleship in an incomplete way. Mm. We talk a lot about things that we need to know. Mm. We talk a lot about things that we need to do. We need to be equipped to, and those things are super valuable. Don't right. get me wrong. But we don't spend a lot of time talking about who we're becoming. Mm. We don't spend a lot of time talking about what it means to move from broken to whole. Yes. And for me, the thing that I come back to and I thank God for again and again and again is how he took the broken pieces of me yeah. and put them back together. Yeah. And how I could trade out. We all have these soundtracks that run in our head and there are these messages. And quite frankly, sometimes they're horrific. Yeah. The things we say to ourselves, the way that we treat ourselves, the, the soundtrack and the phrases that play in our head again and again and again. And to be able to have God pull those out and say, listen, Andy, that's not the way I think about you. Mm. That's not what I have for you. I never once was ashamed of you. I never once was disappointed in you. Yeah. I love you because you're my son. And he feels the same way about you. And when you accept discipleship on those terms, the offer of God and his gospel is so compelling because it takes everything that was broken and makes it whole again. And isn't that what we want? Yeah. Isn't that what you want? The things that in you were broken and shattered, no matter how terrible the experiences have been in your life, Jesus' offers to say, I want everything about that. I want all the broken pieces and I want to make it whole again. Yeah. And having this conversation not just about our brain, but about the people that we're becoming in light of the gospel has to be holistic. Yes. It has to be holistic. And it breaks my heart sometimes when I see people settle and they allow their, their diagnosis to define the person they've become. Yes. And the thing that breaks my heart most about it is when you do that, you're selling Jesus short. Yes. You're selling him short. He's a miracle worker. Mm. And so he's not scared one lick about any diagnosis that any person in this room carries. Yes. He doesn't care about that stuff. He loves you and his offer is wholeness. Always. And embrace it. Embrace it in its, in its fullness. Yeah. Not just halfway, but all the way there. Mm. Because I feel like when we do that, we can walk in a way that brings true freedom to the way that we live our life. Mm. And, and I just hope and pray in, in such a deep way that that's true for all of us, that that's what we can experience. Gosh, that's so good. Gosh, Andy, that's good. Um, I have like a five million questions. And we'll, we'll get to more next week. Okay. 
We'll get some more next week. Right. Want Andy to come back? Yes, he's going to come back. <laughs> so let's give him a hand. And actually, I'm going to, in just a few minutes, Andy, I'm going to have you um, help me out at the end. Too. Yeah. Um, I hope you don't hear any of this as not spiritual enough. Or I hope you don't hear talking about the physical nature of your brain or neural pathways or the amygdala or the limbic system as being things like, what are we talking about this in church for? Because to care for your brain will lead toward the transformation of your mind. To take care of this organ that God put in you, this is really what makes you, you. You know that, right? This makes you, you. All the parts of your personality and your character and who God designed you to be and your gifts and your talents, they're contained in here. This makes you, you. And to take care of it and to understand it better is what allows us to then move toward the transformation and the renewal of our mind. There's, so how, let's talk about very practically how can we take responsibility for this? How can we take care of this? And we're going to get really, really practical next week. This week is kind of an umbrella over it. And then next week we're going to really dig deep. But I want to be able to leave you with something today. And so let me give you a verse from 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive... Every what? Thought. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is like the elephant and the rider, right? It's like we take captive, we, we ride, we direct, we lead, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Because it does say we demolish arguments and every pretension. A pretension is, just means a falsehood, a lie. Because guess which organ, which part of you the enemy is talking to? This. The enemy is whispering in your ear to impact your mind. To take The, the enemy comes over and um, it... And it loves to see trauma in your life, the biology of your brain. It loves to see that there is something that's happened in your life or to cause something to happen in your life that would um, begin to rewire your neural pathways in a way that it wasn't meant to be wired. The enemy loves to come over into the psychological part of you where no one taught you what good character was and no one taught you how to make good decisions. No one told you what your gifts or talents were or called them up out of you. And the enemy loves it. The enemy loves to come into this social part of, of your brain and it keep you isolated from people, keep you apart, keep you out of community, convince you that you're too busy or you're too much of an introvert or no one will like you if they get to know you or you don't have time or you can't take the risk or I just don't need it and likes to convince you of that or likes to come into the spiritual part of your brain, into the part that says you have a purpose and you have an identity and God has a destiny for you and he wants to interrupt these things. 
He wants to interrupt them so that you begin to feel hopeless and you begin to feel like you can never come out of the kind of thinking and the kind of mind that you have. But it says, take captive every thought. So I'm going to just really break it down. I want to leave you with something to do this week. I want to leave you with something very practical. Because really, how do you take care of this? How do you take responsibility? Well, you decide to care about it. Write that down. I should care about my brain. Care about my brain. Yep, write it down. Number two is even more profound. Avoid things that hurt my brain. Go ahead, write it down. And then number three, do things that help my brain. Now, I'm going to break it down even more, and this is the question that you're going to ask yourself before you do things this week. Before you eat, before you go out with your friends, before you go to work, before you engage in a conversation, you're going to ask yourself the question, is this good for my brain or bad for my brain? It's really, honestly, that's, is this good for my brain or bad? If I look at this, if I watch this, if I read this, if I eat this, if I drink this, if I engage in this, if I take part in this, or if I don't do that, or if I don't get help, or if I don't talk, like, ask yourself, is this good for my brain? Am I taking care of the part of me that God made that is the real me? It'll change the way you live if you can change the way you think. And honestly, what if the world could see this in us? What if the world saw the change? What if the world saw us behave like Jesus because we are thinking like Jesus and then wanted to know more about why we believe in Jesus? Wouldn't they then ask questions if we thought differently, if we behaved differently, because it wasn't just our fight or flight taking over or our strongest emotion taking over, but we were taking captive every thought. So I want to invite you to do something tonight. And I don't know, you might think it's a little cheesy, but I really think it's going to be very, very meaningful. You know, we often in our generally accepting of people using the phrase broken heart. Like I have a broken heart. Or that person's heart is broken. Or they have a heart broken. Right? We, we've heard that phrase. We don't mind it. But I think if we're really honest, I mean, if we want to be accurate, wouldn't it be that our mind is broken? That there are parts of our brain that are not working correctly? And so here's what I want to, I want to take a moment. I'm going to have Andy come on up and do, and, and help me with this. In your seats... I'm sure that you have had moments where you have put your head in your hands out of frustration in life. You know, or just frustrated and you couldn't get out of your thoughts. You couldn't stop feeling the way you were feeling. You couldn't stop the confusion. Couldn't make a decision. 
you, were, you couldn't stop feeling sad or worried or feeling like a failure. And so you just would put your hand in your head or you would lay down and put your hand on your hands. So here's what I'd like you to do. We're going to pray over your minds, healing wholeness and the mind of Christ. And so I'd like for you to put your head in your hands. You can sit there. You can rest your knees on your, your elbows on your knees if you want. You can just put your hands on your head if you want. It doesn't matter. And it might seem cheesy, but I want to invite you to do it. As much as you would put your hand on your heart for a broken heart, I want you to put your hand in your head. And then I'm going to have Andy pray over us tonight. The renewal of our minds. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you love us. Not in a, not just in a word-only way, but in a, in a real life, meet us in the mess, carry us out of it kind of way. But Jesus, for a lot of us, we've, we've seen a lot of things, we've experienced a lot of things, there's been a lot of hurtful things that have been said to us, there's been painful things that we've walked through, there's been trauma experiences. And Jesus, you know what that does to us. You know how it breaks us, how it, how it cracks us, how it fragments us. But Jesus, your gospel is stronger than any of those experiences. For those that are here, Jesus, would you meet them in this moment right now? Would you offer hope that they so desperately need because of your love, because of what you've done on the cross? Jesus, would you meet us in the midst of our desperation with the hope of healing and wholeness? Jesus, would you restore our mind so that it can be the mind of Christ? Would you give us wisdom to know how we can take thoughts captive? But Jesus, more than anything, would you help us to trust your offer? Would you help us to trust your invitation? The invitation that those that you've set free are free indeed. Yes. And would you help us to walk yes. in it? Amen, yes. Because Jesus, you tell us in your word, it is for freedom that you've set us free. Yes, yes. So let's not use our freedom as a yoke again for slavery. Yes. Even of our own minds and our own thoughts. Jesus, would you set us free? We love you. We're grateful for your offer. We're grateful for all you've walked us through to this point. But Jesus, we're even more grateful for the things you want to continue to walk us through. Because for all of us, if we know you, if we love you, our best days are still in front of us. Yes. Would you help us to believe that to the core of who we are? and to walk in obedience to what you've called us to. We love you, and we're so grateful for all you do for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song right now, and it's the perfect song for this. We've sung it tonight. It's called Egypt. But here's why we've chosen to do this song right now. If you don't know the story, see the Israelites, God's people, they had been enslaved. And Andy just referenced it in his prayer. They were slaves for a very long time. But then God sent Moses as a deliverer, and Moses delivered them out of slavery. But as they traveled across the desert, and when things got difficult... Um, and the, the people that had held them in slavery began to chase after them again after they had second thoughts about letting them go. 
And the Israelites are looking ahead at this huge Red Sea, and they see the sea in front of them, and they see the enemy behind them, and they just look at Moses, and they just start complaining. Why did we even leave? Why did you even free us? We would be better off where we were than where you're taking us to certain death. And isn't that what we do with our thoughts? And isn't that what we've been talking about? God wants to lead us to freedom. And sometimes it's walking through a desert. And healing is hard work. And learning new ways of thinking. They only knew how to think like a slave. And God wanted to teach them to think like a warrior. But when it got hard, they wanted to go back to what they knew than what God wanted to draw them to. So when we sing this tonight... If you don't know the story, well, the Red Sea parts, like literally, like up in the middle, like parts the ways, and they walk across on dry land. And then they get through it, and as they go through it, and the enemy is coming up behind them, as the enemy enters and thinks they're about to walk across on dry land, no, 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 no. Then God brings the waters back down and crushes the enemy and kills them all. Because that is who God is. That is what he is capable of. He's the healer, redeemer, restorer, and as Andy said, the miracle worker. So for those of you in the room that think, well, this is great information, and maybe every once in a while you struggle with a thought or a distraction, I still hope for you, you find great hope in this. But for many of you in the room, and I know you're in here, you hear this, and you know the depths of struggle that you have in your mind. Apathy, addiction, anxiety, depression, worry, OCD, all of these things, insomnia, that just things in your brain are not working correctly and you've lost all hope. Please listen. You may only know what it's like to be enslaved to those things. But God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you and he is not going to leave you in chains. He is going to deliver you to freedom. Whatever that path may look like, however scary it may seem, and however long it lasts, there is freedom. So when we sing this song, claim it as truth for your mind. Claim it as truth for your wholeness. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. Take some time to worship and ask God to renew your mind and reflect on what you are doing that is good for your mind and bad for your mind. Next week, we will continue with week two of this series and this two-part conversation with Heather and Andy. You definitely don't want to miss this. Make sure that you're listening in for that. If you thought this message was really helpful for you and you know someone else this might be helpful for, make sure that you share this with them. Also, take some time to subscribe so you hear all the episodes from College at 12 Stone and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to learn more about College at 12 Stone, give us a follow on Instagram at C12 Stone. Hope to have you join us next week.